What's up, podcast listeners? We're back. Patty Temple Rocks, an amazing guest. Her and my father went to Albion College together. Uh, there's a lot of West Michigan ties, West Michigan connections, Chicago ties. There's just a lot all around here. Patty's amazing. Patty is an author, founder. She's a speaker. She's a marketer. She's just absolutely brilliant. She's taking the world head on from a PR perspective as well, too. And one of my favorite things that we dive into is kind of the whole concept around ageism. So of all, you know, Patty brings just like a wealth of experience and what it's like to have people sort of look at her differently because of her age or uh, have had have experienced friends and family members and people in the corporate world where they've been thought of as old or stale or out of out of touch with reality just because they may be a year or two older, a couple of years older, whatever it may be. And so I love this topic and she's an author in this space. And ironically, uh, Patty, you know, the whole concept around ageism, we, you know, some of the problems that happen in this space is we think, well, they're, they're not bringing any energy or any excitement. And I just got so fueled, energized uh, by our conversation together on this podcast. And I'm just so very thankful for the work that Patty's doing. So Patty, keep being a rock star, keep changing the world and keep just providing joy and energy to everybody you interact with. Thank you so much. And podcast listeners, I hope you enjoy this podcast just as much as I did. Patty, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Thanks, Matt. It's as um, I've been looking forward to it. We've had some good previous pre-conversations, so I know this will be a lively discussion. I think um, we found out that like our, uh, I, you may have been, you know, fraternity, sorority, a little interaction with, you know, there's some good stories back in the day. Uh, I think my dad went, you know, about the same time. Is that right? Yeah, Albion? that's right. That's right. <laughs> so just, you know, some shout out love. What's the sorority? Alpha Z Delta. I love that. And you actually probably know my dad's fraternity. What is it? He was a Delt, Delta Tau Delta. (laughs) There you have it. So we got along famously. (laughs) (laughs) What did you describe his fraternity? You you made you had some uh, very, very distinct way of describing that fraternity. They were the fun party guys who were gonna make something of themselves. And they did. Like a lot of them went on to become lawyers and doctors and successful people, but they also um, never missed a good time. So sounds kind of perfect to me. You know, I'm going to make sure to edit out. They were, you know, fun and exciting because my dad, <laughs> that's going to go right to his head and uh, you know, go that whole thing. So no, that's awesome. So Patty, just give me the life story. I want to hear it. Sure. Well, I am 19, 2021 for me marks 40 years since I graduated college and got my first job. And I was really, I've just been blessed and lucky and worked my ass off to just have like a really great career for the last four decades. So I have truly seen the world um, through my job and met the most interesting people and done great things. And, you know, along the way managed to also um, get married and become a stepmom and a step grandma. And then together, my husband and I have a 24-year-old who's just about to venture into a master's program in finance. And, you know, we're, we're just, I'm, I'm very lucky. I have not missed many opportunities to um, take advantage of the great opportunities that came my way. So have you always been like an optimistic, positive person and jumped into what an opportunity threw its way? Or is that just, uh, has that, has that, is that a recent change? What's kind of, what's the adolescent of like, optimism, high on life sort of approach to things. Yeah. You know, I think it's funny. If you were asking my mother, she would probably remember like, you know, those days where I thought I'll never get my first job or, you know, some of those things. I think I had my share of drama as a young person. Um, But I quickly just sort of realized that, um, 
you know, it is truly, I mean, this sounds so cliche, but it's kind of what you make it, you know? And so if you want to see something as tragic, you know, then you're going to sort of behave like it's tragic. And I um, have had, you know, I gave a talk once about, you know, some of the best things that happened in my career were because they didn't go the way I wanted them to go, you know? And, and um, I, I titled my talk shift happens instead of shit happens, you know, it was just like this, I went this way instead of that way, but then here's all the good things that came, you know, as a result. Um, so I think I've always been um, a risk taker to some degree. I mean, not like a crazy, I'm going to climb mountains without ropes risk taker, but I've never been super fearful of failure or starting over or doing things. So it's made it a little bit easier for me to say, why not? I'll give it a try. Um, so, um, you know, you said shift happens. Uh, do you know where uh, shit came from? I don't. In that whole shit happens thing, I don't. So um, you'll love this. Obviously, uh, you, you know, you're not a hope person. So I know there's something wrong with you. Everything else is perfect. <laughs> but uh, going to hope, actually, hope's chaplain taught me this, uh, believe it or not. Shit stands for shifting happens in transit. So on ships, what they would put on uh, big boxes is s.h.i.t for shifting happens in transit. Basically, as like, you know, the, the, the old world uh, disclaimer that this box may fall over and fall onto you. Uh, so just a quick warning. So I actually find that to be remarkably, you know, applicable with what you just said about shit happens or shift happens, because it's so true. Like, usually when you set expectations in life, they typically fall apart. But if you... Uh, you know, usually go into life with a bit of an open mind. Yeah, stick to a plan. Yeah, have, you know, have visions, have goals, have all those different things. But like, usually shifting happens in transit. So anyways, that's ah, what I, I fun, love it. Fun party fact. There you have it. That <laughs> is a great fact. I will, I will use that one to be sure. <laughs> I love that. So, all right. So you graduated college, I think you said 10 years ago. Um, yeah. so, so 10 years ago when you graduated college, uh, what were you at the time, if you can remember, you know, remember only 10 years ago, what were you like, what did you want to make of life? What, what did you want life to be? What did you want to go into career wise, joy wise? Like just, just who was Patty then? Yeah, I had, and I will say with, um, one thing that I think has shifted for me, no pun intended, but in a good way along is just a little bit more of a, um, like easygoing nature about what happens. I was very driven. And in fact, you know, I went to one of those small colleges in Michigan that nobody's ever heard of too, Albion College. And, and I remember a, my professor, one of my professors saying to me is, um, you know, you're very driven and that's good, but I could tell he had a butt on the other side of it, you know? And I think the butt was like, don't be so driven that you sort of miss some of the things along the way. So I had a, complete idea of what I wanted when I graduated from college, um, which was to get a job in the communications or marketing industry to have this, you know, successful meteoric rise in a career to ultimately have my own agency, um, you know, a house or apartment in the city of Chicago with um, a great husband, a nanny and two kids. Like I was pretty clear on what I, you know, wanted to happen. And, um, you know, I just laugh and I tell people this all the time. I've had all of those things, <laughs> just not necessarily in that order or all at the same time or for, you know, in this sort of linear sequence. Um, but I had a really clear picture of what I thought I wanted when I graduated from college. 
and it was all, you know, sort of career driven and, but I wasn't going to sacrifice family for that. So, uh, um, most people, I think career wise say, I want to be that, but you kind of had family super, like family was obviously surrounded as you just alluded to, uh, you had career vision. You kind of had like, when I wake up one day, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now, this is what I want life to be like. Were you always somebody who kind of knew what you wanted? Was that like, was family previously like your upbringing so important to you or so maybe distant from you that you knew what you did and didn't want? How, how did that come to be? Do you think? Yeah, I, you know, I think, I mean, they say that we either emulate what we had or we run away from what we had, you know, to create something different. I, um, you know, I, I am just, I grew up in one of those houses that a lot of my friends used to pretend that my parents were their parents. You know, I had wonderful, loving, supportive parents. And so it just, there was no vision um, for me of life that didn't include replicating that in some way, you know, having staying close to my, my own family at the time, which included, you know, my, my mom and dad, and I have one brother, but also then, um, having a family of my own. So I just, I don't think, and it never, um, it just never entered my consciousness, which it really should have. I mean, this was back in 1981 when I graduated from college that there, there might be some who thought I would have to choose between one or the other. Like I never anticipated having to make a choice. I was just somehow, and maybe this is the, the good side of the driven part of me, but I was just determined I was going to make it all work, you know, and, and have it all. Um, I love that. So you, um, obviously you mentioned, you know, wanting to have your own agency did, you know, was, was the PR marketing, uh, brain kind of that, I, obviously that's just always, has that always kind of been what you wanted to go into? Sounds like even, even back college years, that's like owning the agency was the dream. And obviously you've lived into that, you know, kind of throughout your life. So it has, obviously that's always been around. Yeah, it has. In fact, um, in a really freaky way, maybe like I, you know, and writing has, has always, it's part of being successful in that the career that I chose, you had to be a good writer and be able to write. But I, I also just used to write for fun and I would write short stories and in like middle school, grades, you know, like sixth, seventh grade. And the heroine of my stories had that agency apartment in the city, husband, nanny, kid thing going. I mean, that was literally like, I would kind of write it down on paper, I think to help me visualize or articulate what I thought it might look like. Um, yeah. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. So, when, um, so, so walk me, you know, I, I like also when uh, experts kind of explain the differences. So in your world, um, you know, agency marketing versus marketing uh, for an organization versus PR versus, you know, what more, more a little bit tactically on the business side, but walk me through kind of your, different viewpoints of those, what you wanted to, what's different in the world now versus what, you know, you first wanted to go into. I'd love to kind of your just overarching marketing versus PR perspective on things. Sure. I mean, it, and it's some softball questions at you, of course, you know, yeah, yeah. It's well, in a, in a way they're not so softball because the world has changed so drastically. It has changed more in the last 10 years than it changed in the first 30, you know? So, um, in its most simplistic terms, you know, public relations, which was my first job, you know, out of college was working in that, that side of the business, not the advertising side was frankly, you know, like today we would call that earned media and remember social media wasn't even, didn't even exist, but that was where, 
you would hear or read, a person would hear or read something about an individual or company, you know, on the news, in the newspaper, media was very different. That would be, that would cause you to say, I really think Johnson and Johnson is a great company and I trust them, you know, because I've read all these things about them. And so, um, or the convert, you know, the opposite, like, oh, you know, I hear terrible things about them. So it was really, you know, a very, um, you know, we coined the term earned to partly differentiate from advertising, which was where you could pay to get the message. So advertising was, of course, you know, Calgon, take me away, or, you know, like all these different things where a company could decide exactly what it wants a consumer to think about them, pay to perfectly construct that message in the way that they wanted it to, you know, hire a producer and a director and actors and actresses, and then buy the time, whether it was on, you know, the nightly news or the Sunday morning news shows or the Saturday morning cartoons or depending on who they were trying to get and communicate that message. And um, I've worked in all sides of this. So I worked in, on the PR agency side. I worked in the ad agency side. Then I um, had um, an opportunity to go back and be a client. And so the, the client, you know, the difference between working for an agency, be it in, you know, ad or PR or any other kind of agency for that matter is the client isn't the client. You're the one hiring the agency and saying, this is what I want to accomplish. These are my goals. And what's different is today that you would say, you know, this is what I want to accomplish. What, you know, these are my goals. Here's my budget. Like, what should I do? And sometimes it's paid, paid advertising. And now that it, of course includes paid on Twitter, paid on Instagram, paid on, you know, TikTok. I mean, there's all these other things besides the network news or Saturday morning cartoons that brands have at their disposal to consider advertising. It is still really important to kind of get that earned, you know, um, seemingly unbiased view on your message or your product. But as anyone who's been in the media business will tell you, you know, the num the revenue, the numbers of those types of outlets are just shrinking and shrinking and shrinking and more by the day. I mean, every other day you read about a newspaper going out of business. Um, you know, look at how drastically TV has switched up. We're all doing everything on demand. And so it's just all the, all the rules are kind of changing or out the window. Um, but human beings, political candidates, brands, people, everybody is still trying to convince you and I um, to go with their program, you know, so we still need marketing. So to me, it's like marketing in its broadest terms includes all those things like influencers, social media, advertising, PR. Um, and then the difference is if you're on the agency side, um, you're being directed by a client who is on the corporate side. So that's kind of one-on-one. <laughs> You know, convincing uh, the two of us, you, you alluded to that. I think uh, convincing me is probably easy. I think you're a little bit more intelligent than I am. And, you know, <laughs> you know how to ask the right questions. I don't know if I'm there yet. But um, so for, you know, I, you, I also liked one of the things that you said about, you know, brands today have all these different tools at their disposal. Um, devil's advocate or pushback or, you know, just as somebody who owns a startup myself, it's also, there's an element of like, it's almost overwhelming the different paid approaches you can take. And obviously, you know, you can say, okay, there's different outlets that are better for 
certain. So uh, I don't know how much we talked about this beforehand. I own a software company. I also own a, uh, a basically a toilet seat foot pedal razor company called the Hopper Popper. So that's a consumer good versus a software company. Very different media outlets that you go after. So for I guess somebody who launches a business and they're just delivering a great product and got some organic sales and now looking to you know kind of make the next move. Knowing that there's such a blue ocean of wide different ranges from Snapchat to TikTok to newspapers to TV to, you know, uh, media outlets to Facebook to all of it. And like, where does somebody start, I guess, in that conversation? Like, how do you not get like, just blow tons of money thinking, oh, this is going to work. Oh, it didn't work. Time to the next one. Like, how, how do you advise somebody even in like the first step to take in that space? Well, I mean, you know, this is what I do for a living. So it might sound self-serving, but I just, I think that just like I would never try to figure out how to treat, you know, if I sprain my ankle, you know, I'm going to go to a doctor and try to like figure out, you know, is it really bad? Am I going to have to get it set or can I just rest it and do different things? I think you need advice. And I don't think that, um, there are, you know, there's a lot about marketing today, um, that is very, sort of easy access, like, especially with social media, like anybody can, you know, jump into Twitter and Instagram and all that, but, but there's smarter ways to jump than others. And so I just think that, you know, whether it is a full, you know, service agency, which sometimes costs a little bit more, or just use your network to find a consultant who's actually had some experience in that. And I think they can just, you know, help you strategize and come up with a basic plan. And, and, and the best thing I think about what's all the changes that are in the, the world that you just described today is um, it's really relatively inexpensive to sort of test and learn, you know? So you can, you know, for your, what's it called? I love your flip flop or the, that product. Yeah. The that's hopper a, popper. The hopper popper. That's like a great name. That's like, in my opinion, you know, that's a classic something that's very visual that you would probably have some success on like an Instagram or, you know, it, TikTok, you know, like every, every product or service lends itself to potentially a different kind of thing for your other product. LinkedIn probably makes more sense for you. Yeah. And, you know, I think you intuitively would know all of those things before you'd even get to the stage of having a product because you're going to have done all your market research and all the rest of that. But I don't think there's anything wrong with just sort of asking for a little help to, um, you know, assess where would be some good places for you to um, experiment a bit with some budget. Um, and like I said, the good news is, you know, you're not committing like in the old days where you had to go to the, you know, TV upfronts and buy a whole season of, you know, XYZ show. You know, it's real easy in, easy out um, to test some of these things. Yeah, I love that. Um, so, okay, now let's dive into um, you're an author. You've written a lot. I've written walk a lot. Yeah. I was about to say, walk me through sort of the uh, early stages of writing to now professionally writing. Yeah. As I said, I think, um, you know, to be successful in, um, in any of the marketing profession, I think you have to be able to write because you're writing proposals. Um, you know, you're writing letters to try to, you know, get people to do certain things. So it's just the command of the written and spoken word, I think is just really, really important. So, um, I've always done that. And as I said, you know, I've always liked to do it too. So some people, and I get it, like, don't give me a super complicated, you know, math problem to solve. 
uh, for some people, that's how they feel about writing. They agonize over it, but it's always been something that I enjoyed doing. Um, so I, I never really wrote much for myself other than my seventh grade fantasy, what I'm going to be when I grow up kinds of projects until, um, what led to my writing and publishing my first book about two years ago. Um, and that was honestly, you know, I referenced LinkedIn before, but it was when I started to use LinkedIn as a platform to talk to fellow business people, you know, about something that, that I cared about. And, you know, in my particular case, what got me to sort of take that first step to press publish about something that I had to say was because I became very passionate about wanting to talk about ageism and in the workplace, specifically ageism as it relates to a person's career and their career options or lack thereof. So I wrote a piece on LinkedIn. I'm, um, I tend to be just by nature a very um, straightforward person. And so I wasn't afraid to sort of be honest about the fact that at the time of my writing this piece, I had just left a good, really good, big job because I did feel like there was a little bit of ageism at work. And I wrote about the fact that I left for, you know, for the first time in my life, I didn't have another job to go to that Monday, you know, that following Monday. And, and it was a little bit daunting, um, exciting, exhilarating, but also a little bit scary. But in, in it, I sort of alluded to this broader topic that I wanted to talk about. And so I ended my piece with hashtag I'm not done. Um, and it, you know, it just created this conversation that I had hoped it would create, but it happened at a faster, bigger rate than even I allowed myself to imagine might happen. So I just got thousands of people reacting to what I had to say, saying, thank you for bringing this up. This is so true at my company, in my industry. This happened to me. This happened to my husband. I'm scared to death this is going to happen to me. I watched this happen to my parents. You know, and so I just knew that I was onto something um, that people cared about. And so kind of from that blog, I wrote a couple other things, and then I used that, um, the interest that came from that to convince a publisher to publish my book um, that I called I'm Not Done, where I just wrote, you know, what I wanted to be, you know, a wake-up call for American businesses to realize that they were wasting the talents of a whole lot of super capable people by making either intentional or unintentional ageist judgments about them. So uh, one of the things I've liked about our conversation is that I can tell that you're pretty blunt and straightforward and I tend to be as well too. So I'm going to ask a few questions that I hope um, are coming from a good heart, but they may be a little blunt. Okay. Sure. Ageism in the workplace. Did you find it was like, okay, boomer, uh, you know, you don't know much or that's just, you know, that's how things were back in the day, but that's not how the times are now. Was it like, do you know how to turn on your computer and send an email agent? Like, I guess walk me through, cause I, I have family members, I have friends, I have like people that I know that are totally resonating with exactly, I like exactly what you wrote, which I love. But what I'm trying to understand is like, what is that pra- like practically when people say I experienced that, what, what would be a couple examples if you will? That's, you know, that's one that you just described, which I would say is just sort of much more, you know, um, overt, you know, saying things that are, you know, again, ageism isn't always intentional. Sometimes it's just very, we have, we have a lot of unconscious bias in this space. And so, um, 
people, you know, may not realize that they're doing that. But if somebody says something that directly to you, it's pretty easy to identify. But what ageism often looks like um, is more subtle than that. And I always say it's, you know, sort of subtle and sneaky and secret because, um, you know, one of the examples that I wrote about in my book was a woman who um, was a mentor, longtime mentor of mine, ultimately became my boss. Um, and I, you know, went to work for her again, in part because of, you know, the respect and admiration I had for her. And she was the first woman that sort of broke through the executive ranks in this very large company. And um, all of a sudden, she was not invited to meetings that she used to be in. And she, if she was in meetings, I could tell that she was just sort of talked over and not listened to. And so it was, it just was, it struck me as really odd because it felt, I'm sure it wasn't, but it felt like very overnight something had shifted to some degree in the power balance um, at our, at the place that we worked at that time. And, and I, I happened to be, um, you know, a, a couple weeks after starting to really notice this more and more at a um, work-related cocktail party with um, our CEO, the CEO of our company, who had actually put this woman in the job, promoted her, was, I knew, a big, you know, believer in her abilities, or he wouldn't have given her that opportunity. And I just said, I see something seems amiss to me. Can you, you know, help me understand what's going on? And I, I used a pseudonym in the book. Um, and I called her Angelina and I said, so tell me what's going on with Angelina. And he said, um, two things that one offended me and one shocked me. The first thing that offended me was he said, Oh, Patty, don't you see this could be good for you? Um, which I took as an implication that maybe if she was gone, I would be in the running for her job. And I, I, you know, I don't know many people that ever want their success to come at the expense of somebody else. I certainly, yeah, watching somebody, watching somebody, you know, that's, you know, that you like, or maybe don't like, but at least respect or whatever it may be full well knowing that, you know, there's kind of a disaster on the corner, regardless if you benefit from it, you just don't want to see that. Exactly. And so that was just sort of took me back. But that was the second thing he said that absolutely floored me because he said, and you know, she's been doing this a really long time. And I, I she was 55 at the time. So, you know, 30 some years. Um, and I, uh, and I think maybe she's just tired. And I didn't even have a comeback or know what to say at the time because it was just so patently false. Like anybody that knew this woman would never, like you would come up, you would say, describe Angelina for me. And you would come up with 20 words. Not one of them would be tired. You know, that was just not anyone's description of her before at that time or even since, you know, she's now, she just, she ended up leaving the company. She's on three public boards. She's doing great. You know, so she had a happy ending, but I was just like, holy moly, you know, like tired is a euphemism for older, you know, and I, and I think the fact that she was female was like a double whammy, but that's when I just sort of realized. And at the time I was like 46 or seven or something like that. And I just realized that their ageism is alive and well at this company. And so then I just, my eyes were open. I started paying more attention to it. Um, and you know, I, saw it just, you didn't ask me this question, but this sort of leads into the, you know, what it looks like. And so I, um, my first reaction was frankly, maybe a little bit self-preservation oriented, but I thought I've got to figure out what to do to make sure that this doesn't happen to me and, you know, and, or that I'm just ready, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to anticipate this. And so 
at the time, and again, this was about 10 years ago, I did all this research and I'm reading online and I'm buying books and every single piece of printed word I could put my hands on assumed that it was going to happen. And so it was this fait accompli that the business world will decide at some point that you are too old, so you better have a plan B. And I'm not kidding. There were literally books called Your Second Act or, you know, things like that. And so, you know, at the time I'm thinking, yeah, this makes sense. I better think about my second act. And, you know, they encouraged you, like, if you have a giving heart, you know, maybe this would be a good time to, you know, switch to some sort of service organization and volunteer your time or do different things. Or if you love gardening, maybe you'll open a garden center, you know, and, um, you know, I, I admit at the time that all seemed like sort of an okay thing to think or say, um, I didn't give it that much thought cause I was too busy working, you know, so I'm in the thick of it, working, 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 building my career, doing great. And then it kind of happened to me. And what it looked like for me was out of the blue, I was asked to take a new job, which was positioned as an opportunity, but it really wasn't. I knew it wasn't. I'm, I'm a pretty clear-eyed person, and I knew that they were just sort of making room for somebody else to take my job. There weren't a lot of senior-level jobs, so, so in order to give this other person my job, they had to do something with me, so they gave me this very non-consequential job, you know, and I just had too much pride in myself and in my work. And I've always, you know, said it matters most to me to be making a difference. And so I said, you know, no, thanks. Thank you. But no, I don't want to do this job. And that created a problem for my then boss because, um, he'd already offered my job to somebody else. And so I think out of frustration more than, you know, overt ageism, he just said, well, why don't you want to do this? It could be great. It won't be that hard. How much longer do you want to work anyway? Um, and so at that moment in time, I had given no thought to retiring. I had given no thought to that question about how much longer I wanted to work. I was 58 years old. Um, and so it, it was just like a slap in the face. And at that, I also was nowhere near ready to do any so-called second act thing. I was in the thick of my first act, you know, and did not want to be told now it's time for you to shift into this other thing, just because there was this perception that you reach a certain age. And of course you want to retire. So that's when I left said, thank you, but no, and ended up, um, you know, just deciding that it was time that I'd, I'd leave. And that's when I wrote the book and have really just decided, I mean, you know, I took another job and I went back to work, but I, um, my true passion is, trying to raise awareness, um, and get people talking about this. Cause you know, people, my age, we are the largest population group out there. And with the exception of the step backwards that the entire world took with COVID, our generation is outliving every other generation before us. So if we all retire at 50 something, which is what society seems to think we should do, the burden on the system you know, for healthcare and taking care of us. And not to mention, um, you know, you pull the average person in their mid fifties to early sixties, and they are not financially ready to retire. So pushing people out of their jobs early has all sorts of damning and negative consequences, not just for the individual, but I think for society as well. No, I, I, Again, like I said, I've, I've watched family members who are go through it. I've also like, I know friends who are talented beyond belief. Um, and 
you know, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, uh, I think five years ago, four years ago, when I was showing off our tech company, I knew when I had a demo with somebody who I thought was a little bit older, my gut reaction was, oh gosh, I'm gonna have to teach them how to open up, you know, internet browser. And boy, was I wrong because I think actually the people who are, uh, I, I have been remarkably blown away by even, and I'll, I'll, I'll even acknowledge that this is probably going to be, you know, an ageism statement, but the people who are still in the game um, and in, in deeply involved in technology, especially in, in our world, are actually some of the most like profoundly helpful and amazing customers. And so I was completely wrong. And I was definitely the young guy running a tech company who made judgments about that. And I've been like shocked by it. And then flip side of that, our investors are typically a little bit of an older group of people who have been so remarkably helpful, so fired up with so much energy that I, so all that to say, uh, I have just been, I certainly have made my false assumptions on that and hopefully reconciling that, which is actually going to be my segue to the next question for you was, you know, let's say hypothetically, you're talking to somebody who owns a, uh, owns a tech company and looking to hire, you know, how my only challenge in this conversation, and this is just to be completely blunt with you, how do you balance? So a lot of times, let's say somebody over the age of 50 to 55 probably has reached peak income at some point along the life cycle and not saying they couldn't continuously do that. But how do you balance a conversation where somebody applying for a job walks in the door expecting kind of the peak income? And how, you know, how does that conversation happen? And again, I, I'm, I'm, sort of in a trusting manner, kind of blunt question, but no, and I so appreciate you asking that because that is really important and it, and it needs to be discussed. And so I would say that the reality is that the person who should not come, who is coming into the job should not expect peak income just because they had peak income in, in their life or in their last job. The job is worth what the job is worth to the person doing the hiring. What I would ask the person doing the hiring is not to make assumptions that just because that person might have had peak in income years prior would not be open to considering something else. And so I'm not suggesting that everybody should take less as you get older because you made too much, you know, not too much, but you made, you know, money coming up on your career. But I am suggesting that you know, it's, I once thought about it like a bell curve, you know, so when you first start out, most of us don't make a ton of money. We take those entry level jobs and you sort of, it's almost like a bell curve. Um, but if you reach those, you know, peak and really high and at, at, in, you know, and I'm making this up, but let's say in your fifties, but you really want to keep working until your seventies, you can't expect that. So at some point you have to adjust your own expectations. And I'll give you an example. When I, I was asked to go back into the agency world after I had left that, my last job, wrote the book, took some you know time to do that. And I said, you know, I don't really want, I don't know for sure if I want to do that because I really am focused on this ageism topic and I need time to you know devote to it. Um, I'm sure this is a full-time need you have. And basically this person who was very wise, 20 years younger than me said, you you know, in a very kind to me way, she's like, you've had more, you know, more than most people, you can communicate more in a day than most people can in a week in terms of helping me train and teach and, and develop our people. So if you want to work less than full time, it is 
okay by me. So we basically created a job that allowed me to work and have the freedom that I needed to continue to pursue speaking opportunities and things like that. I took less money than if I had this antiquated notion that I was going to just keep going straight line up. Um, but you know what? I'm happy. It allowed me to do what I wanted to do. And for a lot of people in their, you know, and again, this is a stereotype. And so the biggest thing that I would tell anybody doing hiring is don't be afraid to just ask, you know, like, what are you looking for? And, and there was nothing wrong with the question that my former boss asked me. It was just the way the circumstances and the tone, but to say to someone, do you, you know, if the person feels valued by you and as an employer and you ask them, how long are you thinking about working? And do you, are you looking to make any shifts? Do you want us to, you know, like a lot of people would say, oh, thank God I can talk about this openly. I was afraid if I said it to you, you would think I'm a short termer and you don't, you know, I don't care about my job, but I would, yes, I would love to keep working for another 10 years. But you know, if I could maybe work four days in three years and then maybe even go down to a three day week, um, of course now with COVID, everybody has flexibility, but a big thing that was important to older workers in the past, um, has always been a little bit more flexibility. Um, sometimes one spouse is already retired and the other one isn't. And now that's, you know, no company in the world should be afraid to offer that. But, but I don't, you know, the mistake in the hiring situation that you just described would be to at least not have the conversation. So if you honestly say to that person, I think you're great and you've got all this years of experience, but this is what the job pays. Let's talk about that and then let them decide. I talked to a lot of people who got laid off because their salary's too big and every single one of them would have been open to a conversation about reconsidering their compensation as long as it was not, I expect you to do everything the same and just take less money as long as there was some, you know, what's in it for me, what's in it for you thing. But for 100%. so many companies, they just think they, they're, they're paralyzed and don't want to even ask that question. Well, I mean, I even think like, okay, let's, let's, let's just, let's just go there for a hot second. You think the big corporate mogul who comes back and says, okay, that, you know, that, you know, mid 50 something or whatever, who has been working that job and gets, you know, pension and bonuses and, you know, high salaries and gets this, that, or the other, or we could replace, you know, three or four, 25 somethings uh, for, you know, the same exact cost. I guarantee if you went to that, you know, in this circumstance, that mid 55 something, you said, Hey, by the way, here's the current circumstance. We want you here still. We, we know that you still offer value. However, here's the current circumstance we sit in. Would you be willing to maybe work four days a week? You get a day off, but we're going to cut you, you know, this percentage. And in, even if, even if it's approached completely big corporate, you know, trimming, trimming the fat in the organization, I guarantee that person would have respected that conversation. A hundred percent. And, and I also fully understand, um, from an employer standpoint or a manager standpoint, why it's a difficult conversation to have. And a big part of that reason is because nobody trains you to have it or teaches you to have it. Like most companies, when it comes to their, you know, diversity and inclusion, like, conversations and training, it is never about how to talk about age. I mean, it's starting to get better. I'm actually on a panel next week um, at an advertising agency that has um, a um, an affinity group started in part because the head of HR read my book, but it's called um, Sages. And it's basically, that's the intention is to talk about the experience of being 40 and older. And everybody's invited to the conversation. It's not just for people 40 and older, but it would also allow, you know, because 
let's face it, the majority of times that conversation is going to happen with a boss who's younger than the employer, employee rather. And that can be awkward. I've, I've had to do it, you know, and, but we have to get better at it. And the only way that we're going to get better at it is if, um, you know, we're trained to have that conversation. And again, I, I, I agree with you. I think we will be rewarded positively um, by having that conversation. Cause I think most people, you know, would appreciate the candor and honesty. And another reality is that sometimes like if you're able to structure it in a way that the person is able to work less, take a cut and pay, but keep their health insurance. I mean, that's a big reality for a lot of people. They call them the death years. So when somebody is forced into retirement, you know, before they're eligible for Medicare, the cost of health insurance can be so high that many people opt not to do it. And that's when some of some health issues come up. So, um, you know, forcing people to stop working is the problem that just keeps on giving <laughs> in yeah. a lot of ways. No, I, I'm with you. Um, what's the name of your book? It's called I'm Not Done. And the subtitle is It's Time to Talk About Ageism in the Workplace. I like it. I like it a lot. And that you can just find on like Amazon. and. Yep. It's, um, it's available from other booksellers, but it's just harder. So the easiest place to get it is just from Amazon. Love it. What, um... You know, if you could leave like, well, let me put it this way. Um, let's say you met somebody for like an hour, maybe like hypothetically on a podcast and you never talked to them again. What impact would you want to have on them? Um, I would love them to remember, even if they don't remember my name, they remember something I said, you know, and so, and what, and that will, you know, there's a great quote that I've never been able to find who, um, who to attribute it to, but it was something like, you know, the, the words that you speak will have an impact far longer than you will have any memory that you've said them. And I've had people sometimes come up that I met early, that I had some relationship with when they were young in their career who tell me, I'll never forget you said this. And not only do I not remember saying this, I don't even remember, sometimes I don't even remember the person, which is horrible to say, but I've been, you know, I've met a lot of people in my life. So I am just so grateful that I have always given a damn about the people that I'm talking to enough to like truly want to say something that I hope has impact. And, you know, somebody listening to your podcast may be thinking, oh my God, I, I think you have to choose between a family and a career, you know? And so th for them, maybe they're going to remember, wow, I met this woman and she seemed to have a pretty damn good career. And she never felt like she had to make any of that choice. Somebody else may remember like, yeah, I should stand up for myself and, you know, call out ageism if I see it. So I just hope that whether you remember who I am or the name of my book, something I said would um, have made you think enough to actually remember it. And my last and favorite question is what gets you out of bed in the morning? I, you know, I'm going to repeat myself, but it is that I really do give a damn. You know, I, I just still deeply care about whatever it is when I'm doing it, whether it is, you know, managing, helping an account leader manage a tough client. I really want to try to help them manage it, whether it is, you know, trying to get an HR person to get their company to realize they need to change their policies to address ageism. That's what I'm going to do. So um, I just... You know, I don't do anything half-assed because what's the point? You know? Exactly. 
Yeah. I love that. Um, well, Patty, obviously you talked about the book, but uh, for people who want to follow along with what you've got going on, writing, connect with you, learn from you, any of it, how do they get a hold of you, follow along, any of it? Sure. I have um, a website, which is uh, relatively easy to remember since it's my name, which is Patty with an I, P-A-T-T-I, templerocks.com. And from there, um, I link to all sorts of other things that I'm doing. So that's probably the easiest. Um, my email is equally easy. It's patty at pattytemplerocks.com. And I respond to everybody that takes the time to reach out to me because I give a damn. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Well, Patty, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. It's been fabulous, fantastic, and you are awesome. Thank you. Thank you. It was my pleasure. I enjoyed it. You just listened to an amazing episode on the Matt Baxter Show. It had nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the guests that I have and the stories that we get to tell and the smack talking we get to have. So if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that you've listened to, feel free to su subscribe on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast. Check us out at themattbaxtershow.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Matt C. Baxter, Twitter, or Facebook as well, too. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's through an email on the website or whether it's through any of the social platforms. I do my best to get back to people as soon as I can. But thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoy. Feel free to send feedback in any way. And don't be afraid to share the Matt Baxter Show. We're very excited to have you as a listener and hope you continue to listen as well. Thanks a ton. Bye-bye.